Welcome to this Monday edition of Make and Multiply. We call these Hear and Obey because we are reading the passage of scripture that we just preached on Sunday. And specifically, our desire is to be uh, not just hearers, but doers of the word. We want to be applying God's word to our lives. And I think that's that's a huge challenge. I, I'm Ryan Chase, by the way, uh, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road. And today, um, Mark Christensen is with me. And we're going to be in Exodus 12, 29 through 42. Uh, I, I just think that the challenge, the gap between the meaning of scripture and our lives, bridging that is, is really the goal. Um, it's one thing to read the Bible, study the Bible, try to get our heads around the meaning of the text, which is important and easy to go wrong there where you can misinterpret scripture. You can um, get off on all kinds of tangents. But when you get the meaning, I think it's tempting to just stop there. Like, all right, I I mastered the text. I studied the text. I know what it means. I did the Bible study. I answered the questions, whatever. Um, But the work's not done. How, How does that meaning apply then to our lives, pressing that home. Um, and so that's also where there's a lot of danger. People can misapply scripture, can press mm-hmm. things into their lives that are not from God's word. So we want to get the meaning right. We, we want to understand with the help of the spirit and the tools that God has given us what the text means. And then we want to um, apply it to our lives and be changed, be be transformed by the spirit of God. So that's our goal. Um, say something like that every week when we sit down to do this, but I think it's helpful to keep that in mind. Yeah. And when you guys, you know, when our church meets in our discipleship huddles throughout the week, um, we're not starting the application there. The application has already, has already started, you know, as soon as That's the pastor's introduction, mm-hmm. you know, has began, but we're just continuing the application. Yeah. Um, you know, applying what, um, whoever was preaching had brought out from the text, but then also, uh, the spirit might bring other conviction or, um, thoughts or encouragement. So yeah, we want to be faithful to listen to. Yep. I, I just think keeping that aim in mind, um, keeps us focused and, and moving in the right direction. So it's, it's not just head knowledge that we're acquiring. It's not just academic, mm-hmm. um, as a pastor and preacher, I, I consciously think about this regularly when I'm preparing that there's a difference between a lecturing stance or posture where you're essentially talking at people about things that happened a long time ago and they might not see the relevance to their lives at all. And when you're lecturing, you're not necessarily trying to, uh, impress on anybody. Yeah. You're you're not trying to impress on anybody that there is any relevance to their lives. You're just telling them about things disconnected from them. Whereas in, in preaching, you're trying to take the meaning of the text and, and press it onto their lives. So like you said, um, I try to consciously think about that from the beginning, the introduction, getting people's attention in a way that says um, we have needs, questions, problems, issues, concerns in our lives. And this text is a gift from God that addresses that. Um, And then we go there, look at the text and then unpack the meaning in such a way that, again, it's not just we we could go verse by verse, point by point and just lecture. Um, but we want to know how is this revealing God to us in mm-hmm. such a way that God himself is giving us his own grace to help us in our time of need. So long introduction. Let's jump into Exodus 12, 29 through 42, the Exodus. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. 
Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt, So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark, uh, again, love to just hear from you observations, get another perspective, another set of eyes on this text. What, What stands out to you? What do you notice and observe here? Yeah, I mean, the last couple of weeks we've heard kind of the lead up to the execution of the 10th plague, mm-hmm. which is the killing of the firstborn. And so um, we've heard of the preparation that the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron and then Moses and Aaron commanding the people. Yep. Um, and now it happens. But uh, kind of leading up to this, and this is the way that you had um, introduced this text um, during your sermon yesterday is... Um, are there besetting sins or circumstances that mm-hmm. feel like they've lasted forever and they haven't gone away? Yeah. Um, in this case, for Israel, it was their enslavement in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so we were just talking before this podcast about, um, you know, would, if someone would come up and ask you or ask, you know, an Israelite, hey, do you think, you know, today is the day? And yeah. <laughs> they'd be like, well, look at all these days and hasn't happened yet. And mm-hmm. so. Um, why would it be today? Why would there be change? Why would there be deliverance today? And yet that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And maybe ironically through death. Right. Um, deliverance is happening through something awful. Yeah. 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 Certainly one of the things in this text that stands out to me, um, the sudden change. And, and uh, like we were talking about, that we have a tendency to, reason by looking at the past and saying, well, the past has been this way. So this is what we expect in the future, which makes a lot of sense. That's how we learn, uh, you know, from the time that we're babies and little children, you you learn by repetition and by experience. um, Oh, the cause and effect, this happens and then that happens. And so Mm. that's not a fallacious way to reason at all. But when we are looking at our circumstances and, you know, oppression here in Egypt or trouble in our lives, uh, sin in our lives, uh, our tendency to, f- to leave God out of the equation and just say, well, this is how it's been. Therefore, this is how it's always going to be, mm-hmm. uh, does not factor in who is God, what happens when God asserts himself, what happens when, when God works on your behalf. And so I, I just think that 
that is so striking in this text. 400 years in Egypt and, and the emphasized you know, through repetition this idea that the Egyptians were urgent. They sent them out in haste. The Israelites were thrust out. They could not wait. They had no time to prepare provisions. It happened that very day, mm. like in a moment. All the hundreds of years, think back, you know, 400 years prior to us now, you're, you're back in the, the 1600s. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. um, you got to go back a long time. And so for 400 years of history to suddenly just in a moment be different um, is incredible. And, and, and again, with a view to application, how does that shape how we, how we think, how we look at our own lives, how we think about God. I think that's powerful. Yeah. And once again, putting yourself in these Israelites' shoes, 430 years of waiting, of being enslaved, um, being burdened, being oppressed. Um, I think it's, I might get this wrong. I think it's John Bunyan who had said in something he wrote, um, talking about seasons of, difficulty or besetting sin is seasonable winters. Mm. Um, so when you're preaching this yesterday, I thought of that, mm. you know, this is just a seasonable winter mm-hmm. for God's people. Um, yes, it's four and 30 years, but, yeah. um, it's only for a moment. It's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we, once again, with application, thinking of our difficulties, our circumstances, um, God could never change this. I've been, um, you know, dealing with, bitterness or anger or um, whatever the sin might be for so long. How is it going to change now? But I think knowing that those things will always come to an end Mm -hmm. and God will always deal with um, sin. He will always Mm -hmm. deliver his people uh, when they look to him. Yeah. So thinking as it in season, not a, this is going to last forever. Yeah. That's, that's a great word. I wish I had known of that. That would have been a good quote to use. And in this part of the country, we are familiar with winter seasons that mm-hmm. when you're in the dead of winter, it feels like forever. it's going to be like this forever. Yeah. <laughs> and then we know by experience, no, you know, th- that season comes to an end, but that, that's a great way to think about it because everything is frozen and dead and barren and mm-hmm. um, yeah. But, but to have that hope that there is a, a resurrection spring coming um, because of who God is, that, that's really, I think, at the, at the heart of this passage. It's, it's God acting. Mm-hmm. Verse 29, the Lord struck down. Verse 36, the Lord gave them favor. Verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord. So all this change is brought about by, by God. Yeah, anything else that stands out to you? Oh, you, you had mentioned, um, I think before we hit record, just the, the fact that a text about the death of the firstborn, the killing of a firstborn child, could have any hope or encouragement in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just talking to some people yesterday after the service, and um, everyone was just kind of uh, saying the same refrain of somehow the text about death and um, the Lord's wrath, you know, um, could be encouraging. Mm. And so um, you had brought out in your sermon how. Uh, one, when uh, the angel of death came, uh, there was no, uh, it wasn't just like a, everyone went to bed and then woke up and then, you know, people had just like disappeared or right. 
Um, they were just like quietly, um, yeah, passed know, away died in, their in their sleep. sleep. Yeah. Um, but yet there was uh, commotion and verse 30, it says Pharaoh rose up in the night. Mm-hmm. So something stirred him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, there's a great cry in Egypt for there is not a house where someone was not dead. Mm. That's not some of the houses on the block. That's all the houses. Yeah. It's um, hard to imagine. Even the prisoners, uh, mm-hmm. and their families, there was not someone who was not dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so once again, I think this wasn't just a, a quiet thing, a thing to pass over. And it's like, Oh, now they're free, but something had to happen um, for God's people to be freed, mm-hmm. to be delivered. I think Matt said, was it two weeks ago he preached, um, talking about with the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that um, these people's sins were not dealt with, but God's wrath was put on the sacrifice. Right. Um, so I think once again, just catching those details of um, not glossing over those things, but God actually has to do something mm-hmm. um, with his wrath. Mm-hmm. in order to um, save, to deliver, to be just. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it um, presents us with those realities. This is how God works. When he delivers, he, he judges sin. He deals with sin and mm-hmm. sinners who are guilty. Um, I, I think it's popular. It's, it's common. Everybody wants a, a God who saves and rescues and helps, um, a, a God of love. But the idea that God is wrathful towards sin is not popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find even among people who are willing to talk about God rescuing and delivering, they don't want to talk about God judging, but but you never have one without the other. Because right. if God is going to rescue, rescue from what? There, there's, there's some sin, there's some problem, rebellion, oppression, something. So, so God has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So it really is a comfort to us. I, I just think... Um, Whenever you study you know, systematic theology, you study the doctrine of God, the, the character and the attributes of God. And if you slow down and, and linger on that, the idea of God's justice and his wrath, there is great comfort in that to know there, there will be no cold cases. Nobody's going to get away with anything. God doesn't just kind of pluck Israel mm-hmm. out of Egypt and say to Egypt, you know, just carry on. We'll pretend that never happened. Sweep that under the rug. God is a God of justice and he's going to deal justly with those who have been living in rebellion against him. So back in Genesis 15, we've been referring to this a lot. Just a brief little passage where God promises to Abraham, tells him about things that are going to happen in the future. Your descendants are going to be um, oppressed in this land that's not their own. And, And then afterwards, God says, I will execute judgment on that nation and bring them out with great possessions. So God's judgment on that nation for their sin against Abraham's descendants was part of the promise. God's going to deal with it. He's not going to sweep it under the rug. So I think there's, there's great comfort in knowing that living in a world where people sin against us, people wrong us to know there is, there is ultimate justice in the universe. And it's just across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're often we can be tempted to uh, think that, you know, I hope that God doesn't discipline me or punish me too harshly for my sin. Yeah. But when this person sins against me, man, I really want him to you throw the book at him. him. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in this case, I think that's what you were bringing out. What could be encouraging about this plague um, killing of the firstborn? I think the encouraging thing is that God actually does deal with our sin mm-hmm. all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, either punished on his son or um, punished um, those who don't know 
mm-hmm. Christ are going to bear that punishment. So mm-hmm. that could, that's what can be encouraging. You're never left guessing right. what's going to happen. Um, God has said, you know, here's how you should live. Um, here's how to walk in my ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and by it, you shall live. Yeah. So I think that's what's encouraging is we're not left guessing. Right. Yeah. And to know one of the things that feels most hopeless to us in our sinful condition. And with that thought, I've been dealing with this for so long and nothing's changed and whatever, um, you know, there can be a sense of guilt and shame. Um, Last thing I want to do is go back to God about this Mm -hmm. because he must be frustrated with me. But knowing he has provided a sufficient sacrifice for my sins in his own firstborn son, I think that's, um, yeah, I don't know if I, I am capable of adequately communicating that, but that, that is such a striking point here when you, when you think about the death of the firstborn and, and how that foreshadows the gospel when the firstborn of all creation is going to be struck down mm. innocently as a substitute. That, that's just, you know, we get, well, sinners should die for their own sins, but that the Father would make a way for our sins to be dealt with, atoned for, that his wrath would be propitiated and it would be through his own firstborn son dying. It just gives us so much hope that if sin is our problem, then we shouldn't waste another minute continuing in stubborn rebellion, walking our own way. We should immediately turn to Christ knowing God has done something about my sin. There's hope for me because he has provided a savior mm-hmm. for sinners. So again, to a lot of people, it's, it's devastating. It's crushing this idea that are you implying I'm a sinner and my problem is my own fault. And well, yes. And the good news is there is a savior for sinners. Yeah. God has provided the sacrifice. Yeah. That point you brought out about Jesus was also the firstborn, firstborn of God. It's Colossians one, Hebrews one. Um, that's the one to whom we look. Yeah. You'd read Psalm 121, um, which I thought was, uh, just very fitting. So I might read a little bit of that here. Mm-hmm. Um, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the firstborn, mm. um, the one who's going to be slain, who made heaven and earth. He's the preeminent one. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Um, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Mm-hmm. The Lord is your keeper, your shade on your right hand. He's the ultimate one who uh, has, has dealt with sin, but he's also God. Mm. Um, he was there in the beginning, creating, um, sustaining. I'm holding all things together. Um, so when we find ourselves in despair or um, not trusting God, um, not obeying God, we can look to him and we can be sure that he's provided the way of escape yeah. um, through that temptation to, yeah, not look to him. Yeah. What a, what a great comfort. The other thing I was just personally affected by in this text is... Um, that line in verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord. So we have, we have God striking down the firstborn. We have God giving favor to his people in the sight of the Egyptians. And then the whole thing is just described as a night of watching by the Lord and, and not a passive um, observation from afar. Not, not God right. as spectator, but God as supervising, overseeing the exodus of two million people from slavery. <laughs> Mm-hmm. to make sure it all goes exactly as he promised it would. Um, that, that thought, that picture of God 
keeping watch through the night shift um, is a, again, I think like all of this, a, a comfort and an encouragement to think of, do, do I think of God as that attentive and actively involved? Um, not just that he sees, of course, I know he sees, he knows, but, but that he's active, he's, he's involved mm-hmm. to, to make sure his word is fulfilled. Um, that's, I, I think it, um, for me in the last couple of days felt like it, it shifted even the way I think about the promises of God. They're personal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a guarantee of God's personal mm-hmm. activity. Yeah. Yeah. When you brought out, you you made a lot of emphasis on the word personal, mm-hmm. God's personal activity in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, not just predictions, not just forecasts, mm-hmm. but um, yes, they are specific to all Christians, but specifically you and the person sitting next to me mm-hmm. um, on Sunday morning. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we can take heart that uh, this isn't just a general claim, you know, in history, but God's actually saying that for Ryan Chase, yeah. for Mark Christensen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so then it's um, not just, not only is the word of God uh, something spoken long ago, but it, it is describing for us God's activity, what, what it is that God is doing in the world. So no wonder scripture says in Hebrews, the word of the Lord is living and active. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not just a static thing. It's not a, an echo from the past, but God continues to act. He, he continues to perform these things. So to each generation of believers, when he says he's working all things out for our good and he's going to... Um, complete the work that he began in us that that it means that he's he's actually actually working uh through his word um and in our lives for his glory and our good and so just just god watching over protecting guaranteeing um i I take a lot of comfort in that and find encouragement you know this is application when i hold on to the promises of god um I, i have that confidence then to go to God in prayer and say, you said you would do this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm trusting that you are doing this and I'm going to see you do this in my life. Um, so I, I think it also shapes what I'm looking for. What am I expecting God to do? Yeah. It's been comforting me before just thinking about, okay, if this is what God has promised. I know it's going to happen, but sometimes I can already write the details mm-hmm. of how it's going to happen yeah. in my head. Oh, it should look like um, this. <laughs> but yesterday you brought out the text so I think it's it's clear in scripture that it's not always going to happen as we expect. Mm-hmm. They came out with the spoils of Egypt and they were a mixed multitude. Yeah. It wasn't just them. So God was doing it. God is doing what he had told them. Mm-hmm. I am going to deliver you from Egypt. But people might've been looking around and be like, but this is how you did it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I think, I think being open and uh, right. trusting God with the details might not look as we expect them to look. But God will do what he says. Yeah. Even along those lines, verse 39, when it talks about they, they didn't even have time to prepare any provisions for themselves. So they leave Egypt without provisions. We know um, from reading ahead, that's going to be a problem mm-hmm. for them down the road. On numerous occasions, they are going to grumble and complain specifically about not having food to eat and water to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so how many Israelites who walked out there were actually maybe bothered by that like hey little heads up would have been helpful how many of us yeah. like to have 
more control, a little more warning, mm. want to want to know what's coming so we can prepare for it. Uh, again, if, if you're thinking through, well, when I when I think of God delivering me, I'm imagining it's going to look like this and we'll have time to gather our stuff and right. <laughs> leave on on our time, not to be woken up in the night like you got to go now and no, you can't even pack your your suitcase. Um, so that that's going to provoke their unbelief later on, but it's not an oversight by God. I, right. I, this didn't make it into the, the sermon, but um, that's even that detail is God's kindness because he's going to show them more of himself. He is setting the stage to provide food and water for them in miraculous ways. Yeah. They'll call out to him and then he's going to provide for them and he's going to show them that he is able to to make water flow out of a rock, to make manna come down out of heaven, to send quail out of nowhere. Mm. Uh, so, so that's God's kindness, that they're going to be recipients of that and, and experience those miracles from God. But again, like you were saying, from our perspective, we tend to think, well, that's harder because that puts me in a position of uncertainty and I'm mm. out of control and I don't want, uh, when we're honest, in our flesh, we don't want to have to depend on God. Right. We want to just see where our provision is going to come from, be able to control it ourselves, not need to cry out to God in, in desperation. So mm-hmm. we find ourselves in those moments and we're tempted to think this means God isn't working rather than believe, I wonder what God is going to do next. He must have a plan yeah. <laughs> for my good yeah. that's going to glorify him. Well, that's a different perspective too to live with um, you know, as we go throughout our weeks, mm-hmm. busy days at work mm-hmm. or um, hard days with the kids at home. Uh, whatever that might be, um, what is God going to do to provide for us today? Mm-hmm. What is God? How is God going to encourage us today as we sit around the dinner table with our families? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think leaning in with that um, perspective, that view on God does care about us; He will answer our prayers. And so, let's watch and see. Yeah, yeah, that's tremendous. Well. This this is the Exodus. They they go out. There's a lot more to come. They still got to cross the Red Sea. Still got to wander around in the desert for a while. Ten Commandments. So, ton more to go in the book of Exodus. But um, what a night and and what a a paradigm for us as it just it reveals to us who God is and knowing that God is still that same God for us. He still works in these ways for our good. Um, that that builds my faith and gives me a lot of comfort and hope and joy Mm -hmm. in the Lord. Amen. So thanks for talking through this with me.